You know, we've been called in a number of times because suddenly the CFO is going, what are these 70 people <laughs> doing here on the, on the payroll? Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. When the industry talks about in-house agencies, it seems the conversation quickly turns to either in-housing or outsourcing, as if these are the only two options. But in fact, there is a wide array of agency sourcing options, with most advertisers invariably choosing one of the many hybrid models. My guest today is someone who has built their career as an in-house agency model consultant, helping advertisers with selecting the model that's right for them and implementing the chosen model into their roster. So what are some of the more common agency models beyond in-house and outsourced? And what are the benefits and watchouts for each? To discuss these questions and more, please welcome to Managing Marketing, David Sutherland, Managing Director at the Micro Agency, part of MNC Saatchi Group. Welcome, David. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for having me. Well, it's, uh, in-house agencies are not a new thing, are they? They've been actually around for, well, the middle of last century, I think. <laughs> certainly have. They're um, absolutely nothing new, but I think over the last probably 12 months in this market, they've They've gotten a lot more traction and a lot more visibility. But uh, they've always been there, uh, especially uh, in the UK and the US and those markets as well. And um, some of the agencies that I've worked with in, within our group have been around for close to yeah, eight, nine years. Because, mm. you know, our retailers were very uh, uh, enamoured with having their own agencies for years. You know, the in-house advertising department, as it was known. Mm. Uh, I remember both David Jones and Meyer had those back in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Mm. But uh, what do you think has driven this, uh, this transformation in the last, well, the last two decades, I guess, to, for more advertisers to embrace it other than our retail uh, colleagues? I think, um, and it's interesting that you say the retail start, I think that they, they drive a lot of change in the industry. I think um, some of the, the main benefits are really starting to come to the fore around in-housing, particularly things like uh, speed to market, um, speed of which people are working on on, um, on delivery and execution. Um, also having um, creative individuals or that creative mindset closer to the brand is also quite a positive benefit to the, to the, to the brand as well. Uh, cost is also a big thing that often, uh, that often comes up. I mean, um, compared to some external agencies, having an internal team is relatively, um, you know, cheaper from a cost perspective. Um, but I think uh, what brands are finding nowadays is that having an in-house agency is more than just an executional or delivery um, team. It's actually something a bit more of a strategic tool um, that businesses can use to um, provide growth within, within their own business. Um, and also having a creative mindset within a more corporate environment, there's also benefits of having that that creative culture as well, um, which leads to things like more resilient cultures. And, and I think in a in an age where we're getting more shocks every week, um, I think having that resilience is is, is important. 
Yeah, because it seems to me technology's played a big part in this uh, two ways. One is the amount mm. of deliverables that uh, clients find themselves needing. Mm. You know, we, we track that with uh, doing agency fees based on outputs. Of course, yeah. And back in 2004, 2005, the average brand was producing around 200 to 250. Mm. 2019, which is the last full set of data we've got on this, it was about 2,500 to 3,000 pieces. Mm. Most of it because of digital channels mm. churning through huge amounts of, uh, of content. Mm. That has to become a big issue for, uh, for marketers. You can't get a 10 times multiple Completely agree. And still afford it. Completely agree. I think marketers' challenge is that, you know, doing more with less um, is is always top of mind for them and technology is a driving force for doing more with less. Um, introduction of AI, we were just chatting about that, I think is, is only going to speed that up um, and it's something that we're very interested in, in and we've been, you know, dabbling in as everybody has been. Um, but from, on, in particular from an in-house perspective because it also can answer a lot of that high-volume work that in-house agencies tend to do. Um, and I think marketers are really struggling with you know, being able to just try and hit as many channels as they can with as much volume as they can for you know, the same budget. Yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, if you throw enough mud at the wall, some of it will stick though, isn't there? Yeah, you because know, one of the big complaints about the industry is that the, the quality of the work it seems to have disappeared while the volume is uh, is exponentially increased. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point. Um, in-house teams do, do get a bad rap, I think. Um, um, there was a saying that someone told me um, a while ago that in-housing is where creatives go to die. And I hated that. And, and I... I because well, personally, I was thirty-four when I went in house, and I was like, <laughs> "Shit, if I if I if I'm at that level, then there's a problem with me." Um, I I disagree with with that quality component. I feel like there's a lot of great talent that's hidden in house um, that is really starting to get uh, a lot more traction, a lot more focus. Um, if you look at markets like the US, I think. Um, uh, over 20% of the Super Bowl ads this year were in-house. In -house. Yeah. Uh, you, could, you could argue that some of that, uh, the level of creativity probably was, could have been hit and miss, but I feel like some of those ideas were uh, well thought through, well executed. Um, and I think that's only going to increase as brands lean more uh, in-house. I think the talent will follow. Yeah, David, I think that's where this whole conversation about in-house immediately goes into this um, this uh, dilemma of in-house or outsource mm -hmm. because in actual fact very few clients that have in-house capabilities don't use any outsource creative talent do they that's right yeah I um, mean it is a hybrid model uh, almost exclusively yeah. there's not a hundred percent in-house and uh, or a hundred percent outsource there's this recognition that in-house has its strengths, mm -hmm. but that being able to outsource creative talent on perhaps a more ad hoc basis yeah. actually then enhances the in-house capabilities, doesn't it? You're totally right. I, I think there's, it's a rare occasion where uh, in-housing is done 100% in-house, especially in the Australian and the UK markets. It's, mm. it's a little bit more prevalent in, in the US. I think, I think there's a real... Um, benefit to this hybrid model, to this hybrid way of working, to your point. Um, and it's about 
um, building bespoke or sharing bespoke capabilities that that answer a business's need at that time. Um, and I guess what that's what you know micro really does as well in in terms of um, providing guidance to businesses and brands that are looking to bring in what they may see as the always on the high volume work internally and supporting them with um, not only that transition, but also external capabilities that they may need on an ad hoc basis. Yeah. And I think that's important because, you know, uh, the point you made earlier about cost reduction, Mm. all of our analysis shows that, you know, really if you're honest in your accounting, there's often a... uh, a um, calculation that shows in-house is significantly cheaper because they often overlook many of the costs associated with actually having mm-hmm. a full in-house agency. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, they'll look at things like salaries and then they'll apply a very minimal overhead, but they won't do anything like recruiting costs or redundancy costs, mm-hmm. you know, if you ever have, or, or productivity loss if you're managing a studio that suddenly three people are mm-hmm. ill and that's 30% of the studio and getting free. You know, none of that seems to be accounted for, and yet agencies and external outsourced partners absolutely account for all of those costs, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. I think um, there is, that you're right, in terms of building an in-house team, there's a lot of unforeseen costs, and it it is, and it can be quite cost prohibitive when you start from scratch. Um, When you have an an in-house agency, already set up, you probably have a better understanding of those, you know, hidden costs is probably the wrong word to use. But well, no, I, I call them non-accounted or non-accounted, unaccounted right, yeah. costs because, you know, there's sort of things that conveniently get left off the yeah. reporting <laughs> so that they can say, oh, yeah, but look, we're saving 30% yeah. on if we'd outsourced it. Yeah. And you go, well, no, because you're actually not accounting for these costs. Mm. You know, you've, uh, you're not accounting for, say, utilities mm. because that's just bundled in with the cost of the whole company. Mm-hmm. You're not accounting for, you know, real estate because... The, the desk space. Yeah, the yeah, desk exactly. space. Yeah. And, and some of them don't even account for the technology. Yeah. You know, which is, these are all things that an external agency would be accounting for. Yeah. And so it's a bit of a, uh, what's a pee and shell game, you know. And, and I'd, I'd rather clients go, you know, we're doing this for speed, we're doing it speed to market, mm. we're doing it for uh, our brand consistency, mm. we're doing that for uh, data security when we're personalising, than always going on about costs. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it's I mean, a- it's the worst the worst yeah. thing that they could actually do it for, yeah. saving money. Yeah, it is not a, a in, inexpensive exercise. And that's why it's even more important to make sure that you get it right um, and that you are finding it, those returns on your investment from, from what you are actually spending. And you touched on it just before in terms of where agencies are very good at uh, identifying uh, areas of improvement, be it through workflow and by having the right talent and processes and things like that, which in-house teams invariably aren't, aren't that savvy with. Um, and therein, I think, lies a lot of the opportunity for ad agencies. As, as this change happens and the in-house uh, movement continues, um, in fact, I don't believe it's going anywhere, um, that's where I find some of the, 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 the space for advertising agencies to help uh, and help with the transition. I think the opportunity sits beyond just doing, you know, creative or um, a typical advertising campaign. 
for external agencies. I, I think that there's great opportunity for them to lean into the more operational support mm. that can sit around an internal team. Um, and that's where, where MNC and Micro are really focusing on. Yeah, and, and we've just done some big projects overseas where the uh, client was on the path to building their own in-house agency and we highlighted the fact that they, because substantial size of business, mm. we, we actually highlighted all the benefits of implanting yeah. an agency. They called it an extended workbench because it's a very IT thing to say. Yeah. But yeah, we, we said, all right, extended workbench. But, you know, implanting an agency mm. to provide all of the benefits but then in some ways take all of the HR management. The headache. And, yeah, yeah <laughs> That's the, the, the things that are you know, short and long-term headaches yeah. um, can work really well, can mm -hmm. it? Mm, definitely. And, and we've done that for a couple of our clients, as you'd know, um, under the MNC group. Um, so the, the, uh, the outsourced in-house model is, I think, something that you, even you coined in one of your um, articles recently, um, where, where you do have that um, completely managed team that sits in-house. And, yeah, that's, that's a model that can work for a lot of businesses as well because it does remove a lot of the, as I said, the, the, the headache and the peripheral things that kind of um, CMOs don't really want to manage and, and probably shouldn't have to manage, and that does, does fall back onto to the external who are, you know, the external agencies are the experts in being able to run creative teams effectively and efficiently and get the best out of them. Um, they understand the best workflows and the processes, the tech stacks, um, all the latest trends that they've got from a global perspective, they can input into these teams as well. And again, I think that's where the greatest opportunity is for ad agencies is to, is to help support um, in those areas, support the in-house team. Mm. It's interesting because um, it also helps with the whole talent thing, doesn't it? Absolutely. Because you can rotate mm. people from the agency mm. into that in-house team. Mm and actually tap into a larger pool of creative and strategic talent mm. on a needs basis. Yeah, we, we find that um, quite quite relevant. Um, there's, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of challenges for in-house teams around talent and resourcing, either to uh, have the right talent for a particular project, but also to scale up when needed and, and if there's any overflow requirements. And, um, and so my conversations with a lot of in-house teams reflects that um, the ability for uh, an MNC or an ad agency, for example, to plug into those, to plug into those teams where required and supplement that team with uh, an expert, like a, you know, a chief creative officer is what we're, we're, we're plugging in right now with one of, one of the, the in-house teams um, uh, as required and we parachute that individual in for a project. Or were there as a as an external uh, additional studio? I think being able to flex um, above what that core team can can operate and achieve is really uh, an area that uh, external agencies can play in as well. Trinity P three. It's interesting how the holding companies, particularly, have moved heavily into this space. Mm. You know, we've we've seen Hogarth, which started out at WPP as pretty much a production arm has really been building their creative and, and strategic, and I use that advisedly, but, you know, capabilities to, to become more like this. Uh, overseas, out of the UK, but across uh, the US and Europe, you've got Oliver yep. uh, doing a, you know, an amazing job for their clients. 
Um, locally, there's now started to see the same rise. I mean, you've got uh, you guys, Lucian, mm -hmm. and, and MNC have been doing this for quite a while because you've got quite a few implants at Optus and, and Woolworths and, and a couple of other places, haven't you? That's right, yeah. Uh, we've been doing it for a, yeah close to a decade. Um, <clears throat> I think... I think one of the things that we find is that uh, we, we're not shying away from in-house. It's, it's, I find it um, interesting that a lot of agencies are still quite defensive on in-house. I think it's, it, there's a real opportunity for agencies to position themselves um, in a way that truly supports clients and places them at, at you know, the centre of, of that marketing ecosystem. And in-housing is part of that. And... Um, you know, having MNC and micro, um, you know, the birth of micro is, is to go out to market to say that we are an in-house consultancy who can help you do this is, is proof in, in how much we actually think in-housing is relevant, not just for, you know, the, the agency landscape, but for our clients as well. Um, and I would imagine that more and more crop up as well. I, I don't see it um, diminishing. I think there's... Yeah, David, do you see it as something, because it seems the big clients with mm. the big volumes and the big demands are really embracing this, you know. Um, most of the brands that we've been talking about are, are relatively large. Mm. Do you see it's also an option for the smaller brands as well? Because uh, from my perspective, I see, and, and in some ways I think the worst possible way of building in-housing is a smaller company mm. Uh, going, oh, it'd be good to have a Mac operator here with a designer, you know, and, the, and suddenly, the, you know, there's one there with a Mac and they're using uh, Canva or whatever to bash out what used to be called desktop publishing. Remember when it was called desktop publishing? Yeah. And, but, you know, they're doing artwork and, and things like that and then suddenly it's grown and now, they're, you know, there's a videographer that's coming in part-time mm. and, and it just keeps growing mm. and growing and growing, mm. yet there's no real strategic thinking mm. about it. But it just see, you know, it's yeah. almost like the what was it, the wart on the arsehole of industry. <laughs> it just keeps growing and growing inside the um, yeah. inside this organisation. Yeah, I, and you're right. If, if there isn't if there isn't any strategic intent behind, you know, bringing um, creative resources internally, then it can very quickly become the wart, I suppose. Um, and you know the the Frankenstein-esque agency appears after five years, and you think, how did how did we get to a this size or b, you know, doing this when we we don't even even want to be doing that in the future? So you're right. I think I think um, large clients it makes a lot of sense. With smaller clients, I think there's an opp opportunity to do it in a, at a much smaller scale, but also at an ad hoc scale. I think you know there's a lot of disintermediation happening at the moment within the industry um, where you've got you know individual content creators creating and getting closer to brands themselves via um, just reaching out and connections and not sorry not via through uh, not via um, traditional agency connections and that in itself can can be an extension of of an in-house team um, and you might have an individual spinning up some you know some campaign work or, or, or the like and I think that's the really exciting part for me is this deconstruction around the agency landscape where it's not necessarily, uh, you know, creativity doesn't sit in a, in a large um, factory at the, anymore. It actually is being much more um, yeah, deconstructed into these little bite-sized pieces, which is, you know, where the excite, exciting change is. 
It does drive a, a big difference for traditional agencies, though, yeah. that would rely on production mm. for the bulk of their revenue. Mm. You know, it was almost like, well, we almost give away the strategic and creative thinking because we'll make it all on production. But if more of that production is actually going in-house, mm. they have to rethink their fee model to Absolutely. actually get paid for thinking Absolutely. rather than doing. And, uh, and, that's, and that is the critical point that I think, you know, the industry faces um, and thankfully, I, I think, thankfully, consistently faces because um, you, we need to think about these things and, and how do you adapt and evolve your fee model and your, and your structures around this epicentre of creativity being, being brought internally and, and being brought and, and taken out of those um, traditionally larger agencies and I think that's you know, that's the exciting part. Trinity P3. Now, as a measure of how in-housing has evolved here, we've now got the, what's it called? The in-house agency... Council. Council. Yep. In-house agency council. Uh, quite a lot of significant brands on the in-house agency council, all with significant investments in uh, resources to actually bring those services in-house, isn't mm -hmm. there? Yeah. I think um, I, I was one of the founding members of, of IHAC. Um, That's uh, a terrible acronym. <laughs> IHAC. It's, a, it's um, you know what, it's, it's a very Australian approach of naming. It says what it does on the tin. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I think the community of, of IHAC is, is really great. I think it was needed, um, you know, having been having built and managed um, and run the Optus in-house agency. Um, That's Yes, isn't it? It's Yes the, Agency, yeah. The yes Agency. The Yes Agency. Again, a great name. Um, <laughs> which, um, can you work this weekend? Yes. <laughs> Could can, you have this done by you, yesterday? Yes. Can you do this brief? <laughs> yes. It's very, yeah. It was uh, an interesting thing to, to, to change internally, but that's another. That's for another podcast. Um, I think IHAC is, is, as I said, really great for the, uh, in-house community, I think bringing uh, brands together to discuss uh, and share insights and various ways of improve improvement is um, is a really great thing to do. Trinity P three. I was one of the founding members. I, I, I worked with Chris a lot in terms of Chris Maxwell. Chris Maxwell a lot in terms of. Um, providing a lot of insights and learnings from um, Optus and Yes Agency and shared that and, and I was chair of one of the, um, the, the sub-councils uh, within, within IHAC as well. Uh, we did their branding, <laughs> which is good. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that as a, uh, as a community of in-house agencies is, is a fantastic thing. And in the US they have a similar body, don't they? Do. they? Yeah, yeah, it's called IHAF. <laughs> so it's called In-House uh, Agency Federation. A federation rather than a council. <laughs> That's right. And then in the UK... It's called? IHAUC, so the In-House Agency Leaders Club because everyone right. loves a club in the UK. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm seeing uh, uh, Chesterfield chairs. <laughs> it's not quite... <laughs> I went and visited them recently um, uh, and met with the CEO there. It's not quite the Chesterfield flair. So, so there's something interesting because one of the... You know, you brought it up earlier that the industry seems to say, yes, yes, in-house, fine, but, you know... It's where what did uh, creatives go to die, or you know, there's there is this sense that the creative standard 
can't compete mm. with what's already in the marketplace. So is that one of the reasons you think that, that all of these uh, are, are a club, a foundation and, and uh, a the council council. have all started their own in-house awards as somehow <laughs> to debunk the myth? Look, I think I mean I think that's that's something um, probably more around um, a, a, around elevating the community of in housing and and rather I mean and, and less about debunking any creative myths. I don't, I don't feel like I think I mentioned earlier that I don't feel like there's a huge um, there is a gap in terms of external versus in house from a creative output, but I think that gap is absolutely closing. I think the more talent start to um, move in-house because, again, as I said, that's where the epicentre of control is shifting. I think that gap will only close um, will only close in the future. Because mm. I don't know any consumer that's sitting at home uh, looking at advertising going, oh, that was created by an in-house <laughs> agency, whereas that was created by a uh, outsourced no. agency, do they? No, that you're right, yeah, that, that doesn't it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, navel-gazing. Yeah. Which is, don't get me wrong, there's lots of parts of the advertising yeah, you industry could that, say that, happens that gaze, gaze at their navels and, and pat themselves <laughs> on the back for having a particularly yeah. attractive navel. But, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just wondering whether, you know, the purpose is actually driving it forward. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's great to celebrate these things. I think, um, as I said, it's about... It's about community engagement. It's about having that in-house agency um, camaraderie um, yeah. and sharing the work. And, and I, I only think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, the other problem, of course, with uh, in-housing, we've seen this, mm. particularly where clients have built their own in-house function, mm. is when there's then a change in CMO mm. and you get a CMO that doesn't want an in-house agency, mm. Uh, it's one of the costs that's really um, accounted for is the redundancy packages, mm. isn't it? Mm. You know, I think uh, there's been some prime examples around the world of very large in-house agencies that have suddenly disappeared faster than they actually appeared. Mm. Do you think that should be part of their planning? I think it, it absolutely needs to be part of a consi any consideration for an incoming CMO, definitely. And, and I think um, it probably stems from... Um, uh, there might be a, a slight change in strategy with a new in, with an incoming CMO, and and uh, I think one of the things that um, uh, is often missed when when uh, CMOs start on their in housing journey, and I mentioned it earlier, is that is that strategic intent of mm. what the team is there is there for, and if it is, you know, you know, my my uh, belief is that it should be part of the business strategy, and it's there to not just you know, execute and deliver on marketing communications, but it's actually a, a, a growth tool. And um, as such, any CMO should look at that, uh, that team as something to to use in, in that way. Because, mm. you, know, you know, we've... Um we're big supporters of actually implanting because it's far easier to terminate an agency contract <laughs> than it is 50 uh, employees. Yeah. And one of the other things that we've found is the amount of pressure on CMOs when the headcount of their in-house mm. agency goes up. Mm. You know, we've been called in a number of times because suddenly the CFO is going, what are these 70 people <laughs> doing here on the, on the payroll? Yeah, you know? yeah. It's a it's a big issue, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. I mean, or head, can be. Yeah, headcount um, cost um, uh, uh, always under scrutiny, and it's just part of the CMO's remit now is to is to absolutely have that um, under control. Um, and yes, I, I, you know, we 
we've we've built um, in-house teams that are um, 100% owned by the business, but also 100% owned by us as MNC Saatchi as well. And it does give probably gives a little bit more flexibility for a CMO. One of the other things that I've noticed is when it's built by an agency and implanted, there's a lot more focus on actually counting and managing deliverables mm. to actually keep across the productivity mm. of those resources. Whereas often in a in-house agency built by the marketing team, there seems to be less of that accountability. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why that is. I think, I think from my perspective, I guess from an agency perspective, that accountability has always been there. And my, my background, you know, spending a couple of decades in the industry is all about making sure that you're efficient and, you're being, and what you're delivering is accountable and measurable and delivers, um, you know, delivers an impact in, in XYZ. Um, and so I find it interesting or surprising that CMOs or, or brands don't consider that um, as part of their, when, when they're looking at it. I think it should absolutely be one of the core pieces of why you would do it. Yeah, my experience says that it's cultural. Yeah. Because they see them as colleagues, yeah. not as suppliers, vendors yeah. or agencies. Yeah. And so to then make them accountable for That's what they're actually producing mm. seems to treat them you know, or, or appears culturally to be treating them as different class of colleague. Yeah. Because, you know, no one's walking around saying to the brand manager, how many things have you done today or See this that, week? I, th- I find uh, that's really that's really interesting. I hadn't considered that. I do know, though, in, from, in the States that they are starting to implement KPIs and measurement KPIs around their in-house team. So maybe that's a cultural thing that's that's shifting. Um, uh, you know, I've never worked in a marketing team. I've sat on the fence, obviously, having run um, Optus. But, um, yeah, I find that if everyone should be accountable for or their work and, their, and have KPIs and measurable KPIs. And so I would just see uh, the in-house team as an extension of that. I think um, it's also grown out of the production part. Mm. You know, not so much the creative. Creative in agency or in-house is always about the idea. Mm. The measurement is about the, you know, the quality or the perception of the idea. Mm. Whereas when you get to production, it is very much a production process. You know, it's much there's a timeline, to... there's a timeline, mm. there's a budget, mm. there's a number of deliverables within mm. that that need to be delivered. Mm. And so it's much more quantifiable. Mm, definitely. And so as that's often the part that's embedded mm. in-house, it will carry with it mm. that same sort of production KPI mentality, I think. Yeah, I, I hope that, I, I agree with that. I think, I think um it's much easier to itemise and put hourly rates on on that production side of things. I, I hope that that might evolve and change as as the ambitions of in-house teams grow and investment in in-house teams grow and we invariably have more creative and ideation that comes and sits in-house. I think there's, you know, learnings from the external agency side where we can provide guidance and measure, measurable, you know, um, value around what the creative and ideation can bring uh, to an in-house team without it being you know, broken down into the hours and broken down into mm. that, which, you know, CFOs love because it's easy to pop into an Excel spreadsheet versus, you know, what can this bring, what can this idea bring to the business and what's that return to the business from from this as well. So I think there's you know, a, a shift uh, and a reset in terms of how we think about, you know, it comes back to the, the, 
the value model pricing and things like that. Um, but I feel like there's probably some learnings that we can apply to, to in-house teams around that as well. Yeah, because uh, a, a number of in-house teams that have introduced uh, pricing mm. have then found that it's actually undermined the in-house team. Okay. Because the, the brand manager's sitting there with their budget and mm. going, oh, hang on, you used to be free, <laughs> yeah. right? Now, you, now yeah. I'm actually losing <clears throat> some of my budget. I've got a mate right. down yeah. the road yeah. that can do it cheaper than you. <laughs> so, I'll, And so you get all the leakage, which yeah. is the whole re- one of the reasons, yeah. you know, that brand consistency, brand control then the disappears because it's suddenly about a yeah. financial transaction. I, I think. I think. Yeah. I mean, and that's a that's a real shame. I think that's an education piece in terms of the, you know the marketing side of things is like is is understanding how, and this is one of the things that we we spend a lot of time on, uh, especially in Optus, but all the um, the other agencies that I've, the in house agencies that I've that I've worked with as well is the education piece in how you manage and how you interact and engage with this team and the purpose of why they're there. Yes, but how you engage with them. And 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 uh, they are they are a headcount. They need to be accountable, not just from a from a delivery perspective, but they are a headcount and they're a cost as well. And um, that needs to all be considered too. So, probably yeah, a, an education piece on that. Now, listening to you, David, as we've had this conversation, you, it's very clear that you see this as it's going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I, What's the end state <laughs> that everyone's working in house? No, no, I don't think. I think. I mean, we, we touched on it before. There's there's a need for this hybrid, um, this hybrid model where there's in house and external. I don't think everyone's going to go in house. So if I can, you know, put put my futuristic hat on, and um, and maybe you know, like two weeks into the future, <laughs> two oh, weeks, no, twenty or, years into the future, okay. and it would be great to get your take on this because I'd love to hear your thoughts. But but I I would love to. I would think that it would be more of a. Uh, an in-house continues to grow. We we do hit, uh, we will hit um, a stage where it will kind of, you know, it will lessen off. But I feel like we're we're not quite there yet. Where uh, from last um, stats, I believe it's most businesses, roughly eighty percent of businesses businesses have some form of in-house team. I, um, and I saw that stat, <laughs> and I have to say, I, it put up a big question mark because. That could have been one or two people sitting at a Mac. Yes. As counted as an in-house team. Yes. You know, and there was also no support for what sort of businesses they yeah. were. Yeah. You know, I mean, are they I, small, large, yeah. medium size? Yeah. You know, 80%. <laughs> it's a lot. If, if you count a Mac operator sitting at a, you know, at a terminal, mm. Bashing out mm. some uh, flyers mm. for a real estate agent. Well, how do we how do we in-house define... agency? Then yes, I think eighty yeah. percent is probably perfectly reasonable. And how you define an in-house agency is, is is interesting. I think you know, as I mentioned earlier, as we're deconstructing this this agency landscape, and you know, technology is driving a lot of that as well. What constitutes an agency? I think is an interesting thing. I think it could be. Um, you know that that influencer that I mentioned before that does it does their own ideation and production and execution and dispatching are they now considered an agency because they do everything an agency does or um, so yeah it, there's lots of questions I agree with you but in terms of going back to your question in, in, in where does this end or what's the future look like I would love to see um, I, th- I think there's a there's a balance I think there's an integrated balance and I think. Um, I don't see it disappearing anytime soon, but I think that agencies need to lean in more to the in-house 
agency and providing greater support than than what they currently do. I think I've mentioned there's a lot of defensiveness in in the industry, which I find odd. Um, I think there's a real opportunity and a and a chance for um, positive change to happen if agencies were to lean in and be that support network for in-house teams. Um, will it go back to the other way? Uh, I don't consider it. I don't think it will. If we look at what the US is doing and and the UK to a lesser extent, they're, they're a lot closer to us. I feel like it probably, it probably won't. And I'm not saying we're close to the, UK, the US. I don't think it's going to go that far where you've got you know, the CCOs and the CSOs all being brought in-house. I just don't think we've got the size to be able to accommodate those salaries and those headcounts. I think that that mm-hmm. should probably still sit in the external space. And so, you know, what, do, what does the role of the advertising agency look like when you have those uh, heavy hitters, those strategic thinkers sitting externally uh, and you have the more you know, delivery and... and um, uh, designers and and probably more you know senior level uh in-house but not not the not those heavy hitters as well and so i think that's the balance that hybrid balance um and i think again that uh that opportunity for agencies to provide the um that creative that strategy but also the operational support for an in-house agency is is just screaming out yeah so the hybrid model will uh will get more of attraction in the marketplace. I think so. Uh, David Sutherland, thank you very much. We've run out of time. Otherwise, I'd be sharing with you my vision, but uh, it keeps me awake at night. Hey, um, before you go, I have got a question to ask, and that is, uh, which in-house agency do you think will produce the first Khan Award winner? (laughs) 